Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 2. Uh, you guys remember last week we covered a little bit of... We spent most of our time last week just in verse 1. Talking about the day of Pentecost and really the significance of the day of Pentecost. And, 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 and what it would mean, you know, when the, when the apostles were that day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Uh, as we continue there in, in chapter 2, we're going to see finally the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles and baptizing them. And then empowering them to, 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 really, to preach the gospel to all, all the religious Jews that are there at the time. And really what it is, it's just a, it's a fulfillment of the promise of the Father. And it's a fulfillment, a fulfillment of the promises that, that, that Jesus gave them, you know, of the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. And really it's a promise that we have today and, and, and that we could walk in today at any given moment. As we shared last week and, and in the introduction to Acts, you know, the, the apostles at the time, the Lord commanded them, hey, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we mentioned how, how this is a one-time event. And a lot of the, a lot of things that go on in the in the book of Acts are one time events. You know, for us as a as a New Testament believer here on this side of the cross, we no longer have to tarry. That's a beautiful thing about 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 us as as Christians now is that we don't have to wait. You know, we have to ask the Lord and just wait until the until the Lord answers our prayer in order for us to go out there and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The moment we ask the Lord, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon upon us and empowers us so we could. Uh, do a work for the Lord in a different dynamic, which is now in the, under the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no tearing involved. We don't have to wait until the Lord answers. We don't have to wait for a sound of mighty rushing wind to come in and shake the shake the, the, the doors and the windows and the walls. You know, the Holy Spirit at that moment just comes upon us just so naturally. And we saw it even yesterday as we were just out there sharing the gospel ministry with snow cones. And we just pray like, Lord, baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Lord just used us so naturally to go out there and, and let us to the right people, to talk to the right people, to say the right things, you know, to, to, to pray the right things. It was beautiful. So Acts chapter 2, I'll read from, from verses 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice it says there that, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So again, we had mentioned already last week how, how God uh, so sovereignly ordained for the Holy Spirit to fall upon the believers. We mentioned how, how this day of Pentecost... It's actually called the Feast of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, it's known as the Feast of Weeks. It, it, it would have been 50 days after the, the, the Passover Sabbath. So the day that, that Jesus resurrected, that, that day would have been the beginning of, 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 uh, of, of, of the Feast of First Fruits. And then 50 days on, Pentecost, Penta means five. 50 days later will be the Feast of Pentecost, which at that time the, the, the Jews will come and they will bring two offerings. It would have been a grain offering, the first fruit of their grain offering. And the first fruit of their of their wheat offering. And what this really means, as we mentioned last week, is that they would come and they would bring their, their the first fruits of their wheat offering, meaning the like the first of the of the sprouts. They would come in and they would offer it to the Lord as as a as as a thanksgiving offering for what the Lord is about to do through the rest of their harvest. So that by faith they would bring it to the Lord, trusting that the Lord would would, would bring a greater harvest. So they wouldn't, they couldn't see the harvest yet. It hadn't sprouted yet, but by faith they would, they would bring the first fruits of these harvests. You know, thanking the Lord already ahead of time for what He was about to do. 
And we'll see that as the Holy Spirit fell upon them on the day of Pentecost, the Lord brought about a great harvest, a spiritual harvest. So we see that the fulfillment of this day of Pentecost, of this Feast of Pentecost, which was celebrated for, for hundreds of years before that, you know, was actually a fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's also how the Lord, how the Lord established this way, way back in the Old Testament, there in the, in the book of, uh, of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, we could read about it. We mentioned how the Feast of Pentecost is the only one of the, of the Jewish feasts that have no historical background to it. All the other feasts of the Jews, they have some type of historical remembrance or, or historical uh, uh, commemorance. They would, they would do these, these feasts and these harvests and these, and, these, uh, and, these, uh, and, and these parties pretty much to, to celebrate or to, chem- or to commemorate some great act of the Lord in their, in their history. For example, for them, the Passover, you know, they would celebrate the Passover every year as a commemorance of what the Lord did while they were in Egypt and how the, the angel of the Lord passed by and he killed all the firstborn. But because they had the blood over the, the, the post of their doors, you know, the angel of the Lord, he, he passed over their, their homes. And the Lord instructed them to, 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 use, to use this as a remembrance every single year. So every single one of their, of their Jewish feasts had a historical significance, except for this Feast of, of Passover, except for this Feast of Weeks. And we see that, that that's significant because its fulfillment will be there here, uh, here in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. It's amazing how, how the Lord is so sovereign. You know, how His ways are, are, are past finding out, how His, how His ways are past understanding. But we can trust that the Lord is, is, is completely in control, completely sovereign over what He does and over the affairs of men, as it says right there in Proverbs. And so it says that as they were gathered there, it says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It says a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. So at this moment, the promise of the Father had come. The New Testament church was born at this very moment when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And, and notice it says that, that there was a, a sound of a rushing mighty wind. So just, but it, it, it doesn't say that there was a wind. Just a sound of the, of, as of a rushing mighty wind. So imagine just them being sitting, them sitting there. They, they hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind, but there's no wind. You know, so it didn't say that there was a wind. It says that it was a sound of a, as of a mighty rushing wind. So again, the sound but with no wind. And notice that they recognized that this, wasn't, that this was, wasn't something natural. That it was something divine. It says that, that it came as a sound from heaven. So they realized that this was going on. They're like, man, this isn't natural. You know, this is from heaven. And later on, we're going to read that, 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 that the sound was so loud that, that, that everyone who was there in Jerusalem at the time, they came together because they heard this sound. So these guys are, are up there in the upper room, the 120 apostles, as it tells us there in, in chapter 1. These 120 guys are up there. They're waiting on the Lord. All of a sudden, you know, the doors start shaking. And they start hearing the sound, but there's no wind. And they recognize right away, there's something divine. This is not, this is not from earth. This is from heaven. As a, as a result of that, it says that there were given to them divided tongues as of fire. And that each one of those sat on each of them. And notice, it doesn't say that there was tongues of fire, but it was tongues as of fire. Just like it says, a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a, 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 a mighty rushing wind. It was the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And then it goes on to say that to each, to each of them was given a, a tongue as of fire. Not a tongue of fire, but as of fire. You know, now sometimes I read that, or we could read that. I knew something that I would read that, and, and I would, I would, I would see that it says there that it was a uh, that was 
divided tongues as a fire sitting upon each of them. And I, and I almost picture the, the, the Rolling Stones logo, you know, on fire, like just like a tongue just sitting upon each of them. You think, man, that's kind of weird. You know, but it says that, that, that there, it wasn't fire. You know, it says as, it was as a fire. So it gives a picture, you know, of something falling upon them. Obviously, it was something invisible. We don't know exactly what it was, but the author here, Luke, is describing it to his best, of, uh, to the best of his ability. So the author, Luke, is describing something divine, something from heaven, something God-given, something supernatural, no doubt, with the best of his ability in human terms. So he says, hey, it was like... As of, as, it was like tongues of fire, you know, as of fire. So maybe it was something bright that just came upon them. Maybe it was something just vibrant. Maybe it was something that, that, that was just was shining upon them. We don't know. We don't know exactly what it was, but, but the author Luke describes it as tongues as a fire sitting upon each of them. No doubt, no doubt this was a, a fulfillment of, of, of what John the Baptist had said earlier on there in Matthew 3, 11, as he was as he was baptizing the people, you know, and, and the people come up and they, and they ask him, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you the, are you the promised one? And he goes on to tell them about Jesus, the one who is the promised one. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So no doubt this is a fulfillment of, of, of even what John the Baptist has spoken about, about Jesus. Saying that there was one coming that was going to baptize them, not just in water, not, not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what's going on right now, is that the believers are being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that there appear to them tongues as of fire. A fulfillment of what, the, of what John the Baptist had said earlier on. So we see that John had spoken of this. You know, Jesus had, Jesus had told him to wait until this happened, and now it is happening. It's like, that's it. You know, if you guys remember, we narrowed it down to their tarrying time to about 10 days you know because Luke tells us that, that when the Lord resurrected that he spent 40 days with them and then he told them tarry in Jerusalem until you are in Jerusalem with power from on high now the feast of Pentecost is 50 days from the Passover Sabbath meaning that if Jesus was with them 40 days and he ascended then there would have been a period of about 9 to 10 days that, that, that they were waiting there in the upper room praying until the Lord and just tarrying there in unity until the Holy Spirit fell upon them so again John spoke of this. Jesus told him to wait until it happened. And now it's happening. It's like, man, if you just imagine the excitement at that time where they're realizing, right, something's happening. You know, this is different. It's that time. You know, I just, man, I just imagine, you know, what they're feeling at that moment. You know, I mean, me, just when we have outreaches, I mean, I get so excited. You know, we're, we're driving over here yesterday and, and I was going through all kinds of warfare in my mind. At the same time, there was this anxiety in my heart. And at the same time, there was this eagerness. And then we were getting there at the park. And I'm just like so excited about what the Lord's going to do. And, and because we know, man, Lord, I know you're going to show up. Lord, I know you're the one before us. So I can just imagine the excitement of the disciples. You know, they've been trained for three and a half years walking with Jesus. They've been trained for this very moment to be his witnesses. You know, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus had told them this promise that at the time it was foreign to them. They couldn't understand what it meant. And now they're, they're experiencing it. All right. Like just imagine these guys all fired up, man. Like bulls just at the gate ready to rush out. All right, Lord. At least that's how I picture it. So it says that, that, that these tongues, this is that each, that I sat upon each of them. You know, so this gives us the idea of these gifts permanently resting on them. Now, they would have recognized this immediately that... that that, that it was something different from the Old Testament coming upon the Holy Spirit. You know, and what I mean by this is, so the writer says that, that the tongue sat upon them. You know, so it gives a picture of this permanent 
a permanent sitting, not just a resting upon for a moment, but this permanent, you know, resting, this permanent sitting upon them. Now, for them, they would have recognized this right away. You know, they, they would have recognized that it was something different from what they've ever experienced. They, they would have recognized that, that this was something different from, from, from what they read about. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon the prophets, you know, for, for moments, only, only for, for certain moments and just for certain acts. You know, we talked about Samson a couple of weeks ago. You know how, how Samson there, there, there at his, at, at a, pretty much at his last day. You know, he prayed. He said, "Lord, just strengthen me one more time, so that so that I could, you know, pretty much go out with a bang." I'm paraphrasing, of course. You know, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon him, strengthened him one last time. He went out with the bang. He killed more Philistines in his in his death than he did in his lifetime. We see that the Holy Spirit came upon David. You know, as he prophesied for a moment, we see that the Holy Spirit would come upon Moses. You know, for the moment, we see that the Holy Spirit would come upon Saul uh, when he was a appointed king. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him and that he began to prophesy. And that, they, that all the people around, you know, they, they, there was a saying and they would say, what is, is Saul among the prophets? You know, because it was, it, was, it was foreign to them to see a king, you know, prophesy. We'll see that the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was, was momentarily. You know, the Holy Spirit would, would come upon a person for a specific task. For a specific moment, for for a specific you know uh, uh, time, and then he would leave. You know, it wasn't this permanent thing. The the, the writer of the Psalms, David, he would later on pin a pin a psalm and he would say, "Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me." You know, so so there was this there, there was this this idea there was this, this this truth that they knew that the Holy Spirit would come upon them for a moment. You know, and then whenever they would you know be far from the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't able to come upon them. But for us as New Testament believers, for us as, as, as believers on this side of the cross, on, the, on this side of the promise, on this side of the covenant, you know, that's not something that, that we have to worry about because the Bible teaches us that in the moment that we give our life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. So each and every one of you, each and every one of us, you know, we're, we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of, of, of the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us permanently. And at any moment we could just pray, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon us. You know, we don't have to worry. Again, like I mentioned last week about, oh man, I cut someone off on the road. Man, the Holy Spirit left. You know, oh man, I had a road rage, you know, and the Holy Spirit, I left in the Spirit, you know, and I prayed up and I was listening to worship. But on the way over here, you know, I, 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 I cut someone off, you know, got in the flesh and man, the Holy Spirit jumped out of the car. You know, we don't have to worry about that, you know, because now we have this permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we see that. That, that the author Luke describes this as a tongue sitting upon each and every one of them. Giving the, they give the picture of this permanent, this, this permanent resting place. Now, notice it says that these tongues sat upon each of them. Now, this, this each of them is talking about those 120 that, that were in the upper room there in the, who were mentioned in the previous chapter. So it wasn't just for the 12 apostles. You know, this wasn't something that just that just came upon the twelve guys, you know, the chosen ones. But it, but it fell upon each and every one of the believers that, that were there in the upper room. One hundred and twenty of them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and to each and every one of them were given these these tongues as a fire. And it goes on to say, then there appeared to them these divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. It says with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This other tongues. So this is the very first manifestation of the Holy Spirit. This is the very first manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This, this is amazing. Guys, what we're reading about is, is uh, in church history. This is the very, the very first instance 
when the Holy Spirit fall upon a believer, you know, and give him a gift. And in this case, it was the gift of the speaking in tongues. So we see again, the very first manifestation of the Holy Spirit resulted in them speaking with other tongues. Now, tongues is one of the 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches that there's 21 gifts, 20 if, you know, some say 20, some say 21 if you count love. You know, we count love. So 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us uh, as a church, given to us as believers. And the Bible teaches that every single believer has at least one gift. Most of the time, it's more than one. Most of the time, it's like one dominant gift, and then other gifts that revolve around that dominant gift. You know, but, but for every believer, you know, every believer is given at least one gift. Now, this gift of tongues is, is just one of 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. We see that the gift of tongues, by definition, is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to pray, sing, or worship God in a language that they have never learned through a divinely anointed utterance. Again, this is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to pray, sing, or worship God in a language they have never learned through a divinely anointed utterance. So the question comes up, does the gift of tongues always follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because we see here that the, that the apostles there were baptized in the Holy Spirit and immediately they, they, they began speaking other tongues. We see in other instances that, that, that like for example, when, when the gospel goes to the Gentiles, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. So the question comes up, does the speaking of tongues always follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, no, not always. They're in Acts chapter 9, if you guys want to turn there, Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 20. We see that Paul, there as, as, as he encountered the risen Christ, you know, and then, then he was blinded because of the glory that he saw. And then this, 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 this brother went over there to, to go minister to him, you know, and to tell, hey, brother Saul, you know, I came so you could receive your sight. And he goes on to, he goes on to say that, that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, so at that very moment, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's received the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say that he spoke in tongues. Later on down the, down the verse in verse 20, it says that the him being full of the Holy Spirit, that he preached Christ in the synagogues. So in his case, when the Holy Spirit filled him, the result was that, that he was given boldness to preach Christ in the synagogues. This could be considered the gift of evangelism, the gift of, 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 of word of knowledge or exhortation, of wisdom. So we see that, that the gift of, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't always result in a person speaking in tongues. It could result in any one of the other 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of what Paul told the, the Corinthian church there in 1 Corinthians. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts. So the question comes up, what are the best gifts? Well, it depends on the situation. You know, if we're out there about to evangelize, I'm going to pray, Lord, give me the gift of evangelism. Lord, fill me with, the, with your Holy Spirit and, and, and allow me to go out there and evangelize. If we're going to be in a prayer meeting and, and, uh, and you know, I know that somebody's hurting, Lord, give me the gift of word of knowledge. Lord, give me the, word, the, the gift of word of wisdom. You know, if we're going to be at a funeral service or, or around people who are mourning, I'm, my prayer is, Lord, give me, the, give me that gift of mercy. Lord, give me that gift of love. Lord, give me that gift of help so I can see the, the need uh, uh, around me while people are hurting. So Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And the best gift is depending on the, what the situation is. So we see again that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit you know, doesn't always result in, in, in the believers speaking in tongues. Again, there in Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, we see Paul again filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, we see that, that he exercises the gift of word of knowledge, discernment, and miracles. Stephen, later on there in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit filled him, it says that he saw the Lord and he preached the gospel. You know, he actually preached the gospel message that led to his death. You know, so the Lord empowered him with that boldness that he needed to preach the gospel in such a way that it impacted the hearers and that it resulted in him getting stoned to death. So we see again that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will not always result, you know, in, in, in a person speaking in tongues. You know, and, and I, I, I find it necessary to, to, to mention this because I, I got saved in a church that, that, that really emphasized, you know, the speaking of tongues. And, and pretty much the emphasis was like, hey, well, if you're not, if, you know, if you ask for the Holy Spirit to baptize you and if you're not speaking in tongues, something's wrong with you. Are you in sin? You know, have you been tithing? Have you been whatever? And, and that's what I thought. For, for the longest time, I thought that there was something wrong with me because I didn't speak in tongues. You know, now there's a lot of ministries out there that even have like these schools of, of, of tongues, you know, where you sign up for a class and they'll teach you how to speak in tongues. And we see that, that, that that's not biblical. But really what, what the gift of tongues is, is, is exactly what it says. A gift from the Holy Spirit given to certain members of the body. And we see that not every member of the body has this gift. Just like not every member of the body has a gift of teaching. Not every member of the body has a gift of discernment. Not every member of the body has a gift of etc. We see that, that the Holy Spirit sovereignly chooses what gifts he's going to give an individual with. In this case, you know, they were there in Jerusalem. It was the Feast of Pentecost. There would have been thousands of Jews and thousands and thousands of religious Jews from all kinds of different areas as we're going to read later on. They're in this one place. So what was necessary for them was to, was to receive the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues because they were going to speak in everyone's dialect. This, this is what was going to have the impact on the, on the religious Jews that were there at the time. Why? Because later on we're going to see that, that each, of, each and every one of them heard them speak the, wonder, the wonderful things of God in their own dialects. It says language here, but the Greek word is in their own dialects. So we see that, that this was a gift that was necessary at that time. Now, with that being said, you know, uh, I do believe that the, that, that the gift of tongues is for today. I do believe that every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. You know, and again, I find it necessary to, to mention that because there are a lot of ministries out there that, that don't teach that. There are ministries out there that teach that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased when the apostles died. There are ministries that, that teach that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were only for the first century church. You know, and, and once the church was established, that these gifts ceased. There's ministries out there that, that teach that, it, well, that's called cessationalism. Now, there's, teach, there's ministries out there that teach selective cessationalism. Which means that, that they believe that only certain gifts are for today and that, and that others are not. For the most part, when they, when they say that, they believe that, the, that the, the, the physical gifts are not for today. Like that of, of healings, of miracles, of tongues, of interpretation of tongues. Those are, are, are more visible. They believe that those are not for today. Now, there's a lot of great Bible teachers that teach these things. And if I mention just a couple of names, you, you recognize them right away. You know, and one of them, he's a really, really good Bible teacher. He's a guy that I actually listen to a lot. You know, I don't agree with him in this area, but I do listen to him because I agree with him in about 95% of, of, his, of his doctrine, of his theology. You know, but when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, he believes that, 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 they have see, that they ceased when the apostles died. Now, he's an awesome Bible teacher. And for me, I, I think, man, like, how does he think he's out there teaching the Bible like that? Man, this guy's really sharp. You know, I wonder if he really thinks that, that all that wisdom and knowledge is coming from, from himself. You know, I mean, I, I, see the, I see the Holy Spirit working in him, in him with the gift of teaching. 
you know, but he denies the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. But I think, man, this guy's an awesome teacher. You know, I wonder if he thinks that he's that he's that smart or he's that sharp. You know, that that, that, the, that he would be used like that. But again, so us as Calvary Chapel, you know, and, and, and me and my and my theology, we believe that every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are necessary for the believer. You know, I believe that without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, we wouldn't be as effective as 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 as, as we could be for the Lord. So we see again that in this case, the, the gift of tongues was needed. And again, there were thousands of religious Jews at the Feast of Pentecost, you know, that would come around. They would come for Passover, and they would just stick around for those 50 days until Pentecost, you know, so they could give their offerings. So, man, these guys would come from all over the place. Thousands of them, thousands of them, from all different parts of the world and different languages and dialects. So we see that this gift of tongues was, was, was perfect for this situation. Going on to verse 5, I'll read 5 through 13, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that, that we hear each in our own, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Like, man, what is, what's going on? Others, Maki said, ah, they're just drunk. He said, they are full of new wine. So we see again these two different responses. And we see there that, that, that as they were there in Jerusalem, that there were Jews. It says that there were these devout men, you know, these dedicated students. And we see that, we, we know that, that, that Jerusalem, you know, was, was a place for, you know, where all these, you know, different... Uh, uh, rabbis would come, you know, there's a lot of known rabbis and they would, they would have this following, you know, they had all, all their students follow them, you know, and, and, and Jerusalem was a place typically where they would go to, to learn from all these very skilled and very, you know, smart rabbis. So there was, there it says Jews, devout men. When, it's, when it talks about these devout men, it means dedicated students of the word, dedicated, dedicated students of the law, dedicated, you know, scribes, dedicated teachers of the law. But these were like religious dudes, you know, really, really sharp guys concerning the law who were there in Jerusalem. And we see that the people there at the feast were, were devoted Jews. I mean, they, they were there to, to sacrifice unto the Lord and to bring their, their grain offering. You know, they were dedicated students to the law and, and of the prophets from all over the place. And when it says that, that they were drawn by the sound of the mighty rushing wind. So they were, they were drawn by the sound of the, by the mighty rushing wind. It says when they, when they heard the sound... That they marveled because they heard these simple, unskilled, unschooled men of Galilee speak in their own language. So when they say, hey, aren't these all Galileans? They say, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that, that, they, that they all speak in our own language which we were born? So when they say that, it's because typically the area of Galilee was, was, was known for, it's, it's, it's a short place. You, know, you see that you have there the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias. So typically, the people who lived there were, were fishermen. You know, they were plain men. They were blue-collar guys. You know, it wasn't guys that, that, that were able to go to the, to the rabbinical schools and, and study, you know, the law and the prophets and Moses and the Torah and, and study Hebrew and learn all the languages. They were just 
normal guys, you know, they were warehouse workers, you know, they were nine to fivers, uh, minimum wage guys, you know, they were unschooled, untrained, unlearned. So when these devout Jews, these dedicated students of the law and of the prophets heard them speaking in their own language and their own dialects, says that they marveled, right? How could it be? How could it be that these plain guys are speaking each in our own language? You know, and, and I believe that, that the Holy Spirit gave them, you know, like the, the most uh, uh, the divine tongue. You know, I mean, if it was French, I believe it was the most eloquent French. You know, if it was Spanish, the most eloquent Spanish. I mean, the most eloquent of the language. Because that's God. You know, God is perfect. And he was, he's, whatever he's going to give is, is going to be perfect. So I believe that when they heard them speak in their own language, it was the most eloquent form of their language. So they marveled, like, man, aren't these guys Galileans? You know, these guys aren't schooled. They're not taught. You know, they don't, they, don't have, they don't have any degrees. They don't go to seminary. But they're speaking the marvelous things of God in our own language. And we see that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that, that, that this is still what the Holy Spirit is designed to do in each and every one of us. You know, don't be discouraged if you never went to seminary or Bible college or you never graduated high school. I, I qualify for all those three things. <laughs> you know, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, your qualifications. Again, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And if the Lord has called you to something, He's going to equip you for what He has called you to. He's not going to call you, something to, call, he's not going to, call you to something and then leave you to figure it out on your own. No, when He calls you, He's going to empower you for the work that He has for you. So we see that He called these men, He gave them the gift of tongues. You know, the people marveled because they heard, they heard them all speak in their own tongues. You know, and it says that they, that they started asking within themselves, like, man, what's going on? So they recognized that something supernatural was going on here. And they were thinking, it couldn't have come from these guys. So they hear them speaking the wonderful works of God. And really what they heard was, was 120, you know, 120 apostles, 120 followers of Jesus praising and worshiping God in their own foreign language. Now we see that this sparked two different types of responses. Some guys, it says that they marveled and it says that they were amazed and perplexed. And in verse 12 it says they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one another, Man, what do you think is going on? Whatever could this mean? What do you think this means? You know, they're sincerely questioning, what could this mean? Now, the other response to the crowd was, there in verse 13, it says, Others mocking said, ah, they're just drunk. They're full of new wine. So we see two responses. One of them was an honest seeking for answers. Whatever could this mean? The other response was mocking and dismissing the work of God for, for just for drunkenness. And, and really, this is always the case. You know, when we share the gospel, we always get the easiest of the two. You know, we were out there yesterday, and it's almost always the same thing, right? You share the gospel with somebody, and it's either, it's either, either one of those responses. You know, the people are going to sincerely listen and, 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 and seek and be attentive to your words and sincerely seek the Lord because of what you said. Or they're going to pretty much brush you off and mock you or, you know, count it as just some plain old thing. You know, I mean... Just yesterday, you know, we're out there sharing the gospel. You know, I remember I was talking to one kid, and uh, I remember I went up to him and, I, and, I, and I'm like, "Hey, bro, you need prayer?" He's like, "Huh?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know, you need prayer?" He's like, "You're asking me if I need prayer?" I'm like, "Yeah, like, you know, prayer. Like, I'm a Christian." He's like, "Oh." He's like, "Oh, alright." He was taking back. He's like, "He's like, well, no one's really asked me ever that." Uh, he's like, "No one ever, no one's ever asked me if I need a prayer," and uh, he was really taken back by it. You know, but I, I could see that he was very sincere in it. He was like. 
And he told me, like, you know what? He says, I'm not sure, but can I think about it? He's like, I think, he's like, I, think I do, but I'm not sure for what. He's like, okay, can I think about it for a little bit? I'm like, yeah, for sure, bro. We're going to be right here. You know, I'll come back to you. You know, we're going to be right here. He's like, all right, thanks. You know, so he was very sincere in his response. You know, he was like, man, no one's ever asked me for prayer. You know, yeah, I do want prayer, but I just don't know what, for what yet. And there was other guys, you know, we shared, we shared it with, and they were like, all right, thanks for snow cone. Now it's hot, whatever. You know, all right, I'm good. Hey, bro, Jesus loves you. All right, thanks, man, whatever. You know, and it was like, they were kind of just more standoffish, you know. Now, with that being, saying, with that being said, we know that, that, that the Lord is the one who knows the hearts, you know. And we can't judge somebody's response by, by what we see or hear. You know, that, that, that God is a discerner of their hearts. And, and uh, as we were reminded a couple of days ago, you know, that sometimes often the guys who we least think are, are listening and least think are going to be re- responsive, you know, that, that end up responding to the Lord. So again, we see that at this crowd here, these thousands of devout Jews, there was two, there was a, there was a mixed response. One was, was sincerity, seeking. What does this mean? What's going on here? What's really going on? The other one was like, ah, they're just drunk. You know, they're just full of new wine. Now, our job isn't to, to orchestrate the proper response, you know, as we share the gospel. That's not our job. Our job isn't to like get the person to say the right things, follow us in a prayer, you know, pray with us afterwards, come to the church. That's not our job. You know, our job is to is to share the gospel and, and, and to leave the response with the Lord, to, to leave the result with the Lord. You know, and oftentimes we get discouraged because because we focus so much on the oh man, but I didn't pray with them, or oh man, but I didn't lead them in a sinner's prayer, or oh man, they didn't come to church, or oh man, I didn't get to share with them the five spiritual laws and the it's like ah. I mean, that's not what it's about. You know, we're called to share the gospel, you know, to be a witness, to be a light, and the rest is up to the Lord. I mean, God can do more with, you know, through His Spirit than we can do with our, with our words, you know, with our short time we have with them. So, and same thing with these guys, you know. All these guys did was just, man, we just preach to them, you know. They, 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 just share the, they just share with them. Again, you have these two different responses. Now, again, our job is to orchestrate the proper response. Our job is just to simply present the truth. That's it, the truth. Now, we leave the results in the, in the Lord's hands. So again, don't get discouraged if, if you didn't get the right response or the, the response you were anticipating. Know that, that, that the result is in the Lord's hands. We're going to read here in verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. This guy's bold. It says, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what the pro- what, what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall and he quotes Joel. It says, and in the and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my mate men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And now it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we see that Peter stands up. And again, this is a different Peter than, than, than we saw some 50 plus days ago, you know, as he was, uh, you know, he denied Jesus, you know, before a, a, a little servant girl. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? No. I'm sure you're one of his disciples. No. I'm pretty sure you're one of his followers. I told you I don't know the guy. All of a sudden he goes and he runs. You know, so he was, we see here a very different Peter. You know, and the difference is 
that now he's indwelled by the Holy Spirit and, and uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now indwelling him as, a, as, a, as the Lord Jesus breathed on him and told him to receive the Holy Spirit there in John chapter 20. And now the Holy Spirit has come upon him. And now we see Peter acting in a different dynamic. You know, this isn't the same guy. I mean, he's the same guy, but he's working in a different, he's operating in a different dynamic. He's operating now under the, the, the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's the difference about him. We see that Peter quotes Joel now as an, as an explanation for, for this that they're seeing. First he tells them, well, he says, we're not drunk. You know, it's only, it's only the, the third hour. Now for the Jews, their, their day begins at six in the morning. So he's saying, hey, it's only nine in the morning. It's only the, the third hour. He says, they're not drunk. You know, it's too early because traditionally the, the Jews, they, they wouldn't begin eating or until, not until the third hour. You know, plus it would still take a long time for the wine to ferment throughout the day. So they're saying, hey, it's only the third hour. It's only nine in the morning. He says, they're not drunk, but what you're seeing is, 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 is what the prophet Joel spoke about. Then he goes on to quote Joel. And what he quotes really is a partial fulfillment of this prophecy from Joel. Not the full fulfillment. He didn't say this is the fulfillment of what Joel spoke about. No, he says this is what, what Joel spoke about. Because it was, when we read the prophecy there of Joel, it has two parts. And we see that, that one part was for the, the now, and the other part is for the later. The, there's, there's two parts to that prophecy of Joel. One of them you know, speaks of the, the promise of the Father and, and, and the, the coming upon the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. You know, meaning that, that no longer would it be just for the prophets, no longer would it be just for the Jews, no longer would it be just for the religious people, no longer would it be just for the certain members of the children of Israel, but upon all flesh, Jews, Gentiles, you know, whoever they were. And the second part of that promise talks about the judgment, you know, at, at the coming of the day of the Lord, which is really the second coming of Christ. So we see that, 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 that when, when Peter prophesied, when Peter, you know, referred to this prophecy of Joel, you know, this is a partial fulfillment. It's not a full fulfillment of this prophecy. It's a partial fulfillment. Again, the second part of this prophecy focuses on the coming judgment upon the earth at the second coming of Christ. And we see that according to Peter, it's safe to say that at this moment, the last day's time clock began to tick. He says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. So what is Peter saying? He says, hey, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about in the last days. He says, we're in the last days. That's what Peter, that's what Peter is saying. He says, this prophecy was, was for the last days. And now, you know, the, the, this is being fulfilled. Meaning what? Meaning that at that very moment when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to, to speak in, in, in other languages, the, that, that, that last day's time clock began to tick, 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 tick. And it's been ticking ever since. Now that's crazy to think that we've been in the last days for a little over 2,000 years. And it's like, you thought time was short? And when you look at it in that perspective, man, time is really short. And we know that the Lord could come back like yesterday. The Lord is, the Lord is coming is near. You know, and, and we know that, that people have been saying, you know, God's coming back, Jesus is coming back since like the 50s. You know, and people mock, you know, mockers of the Bible say, oh, well, people have been saying God's going to come back. You know, it's been 100 years, and he hasn't came back. It's been since the 70s, and he hasn't came back. We see that the Bible tells us there in First Peter that, that for the Lord, a thousand days is like, is like one day. A thousand years is like one day. And, and one day is like a thousand years. You know, so God, doesn't, God is outside of our time limit. You know, but for us, we've been in the last days ever since Peter confirmed that he says, Hey, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord. So at that moment that the spirit was poured out on all flesh, man, the last days, time clock. Tick, 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 
man, guys, time is short. Time is really short. Now, again, this would have been a, a new concept for the Jewish listener in the Old Testament, you know, that, uh, concerning the Holy Spirit, because they knew that, that the Holy Spirit was only given, you know, for, 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 for moments. So as, a, as these devout Jewish, Jewish men were there, you know, of course they know the scriptures, they know all the scriptures concerning the Holy Spirit, they know all the stories of the Holy Spirit, and now they're, they're hearing, hey, this is what, what, what the prophet Joel spoke about, the Holy Spirit was to be poured out on all flesh, and that, and that men, the men servant, the maid servant, would, would, would prophesy. Was that, what that means is like the men servants and the maid servants were like the least in the household, meaning that, that now there's going to be no, dis, no distinguishing of, of, of persons. You know, God's going to pour out His Holy Spirit on whoever. You know, you could be a homeless person on the street who who give your life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. You could be a person in, a, in an office there in downtown LA at the very top floor, you know, with the window with the window view, you know, and, and if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you. You could be just a person who works here at the, at the, at the gas station. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you. What he's saying is that now there's going to be no distinguishing of persons. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on, on all flesh. On my men servants, on my maid servants, even the least of the least of the least, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on, on, on all of these. And I know that again, these religious Jews, as they're hearing this, you know, they would have been reminded, you know, of these of these Old Testament scriptures concerning this. Isaiah gives us one there in Isaiah forty-four verse three. He says, "I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants." Ezekiel 39, 29 says, And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. So they knew that this was going to come, but they just didn't know how. Like, they couldn't picture how it was going to happen. You know, and now they're saying, man, this is happening. You know, Scripture is being fulfilled. Now, there is still prophecy pending concerning the last days, as we mentioned earlier. This prophecy in Joel, it's a, it's a two-part pro prophecy. The first was fulfilled there at that time. And the second is to be fulfilled at the second coming of the Lord, at the second coming of Christ. So we see that, that these things, thank you, bro. How do you know? We see, we see that these things won't happen until the church is taken away and is raptured. We see that this second part of the prophecy is not going to be fulfilled until the church is taken away, until the rapture of the church occurs. Because for this impending judgment upon the earth, the church is not going to be here for that. We're not going to be here for that. We're not going to be here to, to go through the tribulation. We're not going to be here to see all the things happen. We're going to be in heaven with the Lord. You know, the, the, God is going to spare us from the wrath to come. You know, and, and Paul tells him there in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he says, You were not appointed for wrath. You know, meaning if the Lord saved us from, from our sin and, and from our sinfulness and from all that wickedness, you know, and, 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 draw, and draw us to himself, you know, he didn't save us. To make us go through this horrible, you know, seven-year tribulation period and, 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 and not be, even be able to die and we're going to be suffering so much. No, God didn't save us so we could be, you know, under tribulation. He didn't save us so we we'll go through the wrath. But Paul says, you were not appointed unto wrath. And so we see that, that the second part of the prophecy is not going to happen until the church is taken away. You know, at the rapture of the church. And prophetically speaking, there is nothing that needs to happen in order for the rapture of the church to take place you know other things in scripture you know that's prophetic all right in order for this to happen this has to happen you know in order for the for the antichrist to to, to come they used to first be you know the the establishing the key of the of the temple the third temple then halfway through the tribulation period the antichrist will come and establish himself as messiah and, and demand to be worshipped 
That's what Daniel talked about and referred to as an abomination of desolation there in Daniel chapter 9. So we see that, that prophetically speaking, certain things need to happen in order for other things to happen. But concerning the rapture of the church, nothing needs to happen in order for the rapture of the church to take, to take place. It's going to be just at a twinkling of an eye. It's going to be just unannounced. Nothing needs to precede it. We just see that it's going to happen at any moment. It could happen as I'm teaching the study. It could happen as I'm driving home. It could happen as we're sleeping in our bed. It could happen as I'm at work. It could happen at any moment. Nobody knows the, the day or the hour. It's exciting because it's an encouragement for us to, again, to, to just live holy lives. You know, it's not meant to be like a better be living straight or else God's going to come and you're going to be left behind type of thing. You know, but it's supposed to be like a joyous occasion. You know, knowing that, man, we're going through all these things here on earth. We're seeing all this stuff going on around us. You know, things are are getting kind of crazy around the world but we know that any moment it's all going to be over for us and the Lord's going to spare us from these things that are happening on the earth from all the you know tribulation all the wrath all the craziness you know all the trial the trials and we're going to be taken up to be with the Lord you know it's meant to be a, a joyous occasion knowing like man I'll be with all my all my my brothers and sisters you know all my believers all my my believing family you know all those who have trusted the name of the Lord worldwide you know, all my friends I have in Colombia and in Mexico and in all these places that, that know the Lord. It's like, we're all going to be taken up at that one moment. He says that we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Man, and we're going to say peace out to the world. And they're going to go through all this tribulation. It's meant to be a joyous, a joyous occasion. You know, I used to think about the rapture of the church. And I used to get kind of scared, you know, because I'll think, man, Lord, what about my family? <laughs> you know, some of my family's not walking with the Lord. And uh, I would pray a lot for them, you know. And... <laughs> now I see the Lord doing a work in my family and I just think man Lord you're so sovereign you know cause I would hear guys like Pastor Raw you know preach and they would say Lord come back right now come back today and Lord come back right now and in my head you know, and everyone would be all hyped up and they'd be like yeah and in my head I'd be like no Lord not yet you know because I'm thinking about my family like, Lord, my family, you know, they're not walking with you. They don't know you yet. You know, but we said God is so sovereign, you know, and now I have more peace. You know, <laughs> a little more peace. My like, man, Lord, ready. <laughs> we'll see again. Prophetically speaking, going back to the text. You know, the second part of the prophecy is for a later time. You know, once the church is taken up out of the world, at the rapture of the church, and these things are going to come. Verse 22 through 24, it says, so Peter goes on to say, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so we see Peter again, he, he follows up with them. You know, he's just, man, just laying it on them. You know, we see that, that really what Peter's doing, he's pre he preaches the, the gospel to them. You know, now, what is a gospel? You know, if somebody were to ask you, what's a gospel? You know, what would you say? Paul tells us exactly what the gospel is there in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, 
If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he goes on to describe what the gospel is. There in verse 3 he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what the gospel is. If anybody asks, ever asks you, what's the gospel? That's the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 15. You know, Christ dying for our sins, you know, buried and raised on the third day. That's the gospel. And we see that, 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 that what Peter is doing is, is that he's preaching the gospel to them. Notice, notice what Peter said. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth, you know, him being delivered by the foreknowledge of God, was crucified and put to death by you. This Jesus God raised up. The gospel, the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what the gospel is. You know, and we see that, that, that Peter's preaching this gospel message to them. You know, and, and later on we see that, that 3,000 souls get added to the kingdom. And, and this is what we preach. You know, Christ crucified for our sins and raised to life to give us eternal life. That's what we preach. That's where the power is in, the gospel. You know, the power is not in me coming up here and telling you guys some funny story, you know, about whatever. The gospel is not coming up. Uh, it's not, the power isn't in me coming up here and giving you, you know, the story of my life and this and that. I mean, there's time, in, there's time for those things. There's time for testimonies. There's time for all these encouraging words, you know. But, but as far as the saving power, the saving power is in the message of the gospel. It's in the message of the cross. You know, I was so discouraged, disappointed, amazed, uh, a few other, you know, words to describe how I felt a couple of days ago, you know, where, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, um, we're at a funeral and this guy was doing a service, you know, and I was so amazed that in the hour and a half that he was speaking, he not once mentioned the cross of Christ. He not once mentioned Christ dying on the cross for our sins. You know, and I was just in awe. I was just in awe thinking, man, this guy's so wrong. You know, this guy's so deceptive. This guy is so going to be judged for that. You know, because you have all these people here. You have a whole audience, you know, who are hurting, who want some type of hope. And not once does he mention the cross of Christ. Not once does he, does he mention, you know, Christ, you know, dying and, and, and raising on the third day and, and giving us victory over death. It's like, man... He kind of tiptoed around it, you know, when he got to those hard parts, he kind of just, uh, just very carefully went about it. You know, he didn't, he never really preached the, preached the cross. And we see that, that this is where the power is at, in the cross. You know, and I forgot who it was that said, woe to me if I, if, I, if I don't preach the cross of Christ. You know, when I heard Pastor Raul say one time, he says, he said, I, I, I make it my aim to, to preach the cross at every one of my messages. Every one of my services, I make it an aim to preach the cross of Christ. I think, man, that's heavy. That's heavy. You know, because that's where the power is at, in the cross of Christ. I, mean, I don't mean the physical cross and all that. I mean, you guys know what I mean. I mean, and what took place there at the cross. You know, the Son of God took our place, you know, and, and took the, the, the judgment, the condemnation that belonged to us. He took it upon himself. He took our place. He took the punishment that we deserved. He was being bruised. You know, for, for our iniquities, for our sins. You know, he was disdained, he was spit upon, he was killed, he was crucified, he was buried. And on the third day, he gloriously rose again. That's where the power is at. That's the, that's the power behind the message. You know, and that's where, and that's the message of power. is the cross of Christ. And we see this is what, what, what Peter is preaching to them. Again, he says, men of Israel, this Jesus of Nazareth, 
you know, who were being delivered by the foreknowledge of God was crucified and put to death by you. Is this Jesus God raised up? And that's where the power is. And, and, and I know sometimes it's something that can feel kind of kind of weird, you know, preaching, you know, a resurrection. And you're talking to somebody, you know, you're sharing the gospel with them, and you're like, yeah, and then Jesus rose again on the third day, and, and even we're kind of, we might be even kind of hesitant to mention that because it sounds crazy. But we know that it's a historical fact. It's not just what the Bible teaches, but it's a historical fact. Josephus, which Josephus, who was a, a, a Jewish historian, not a Christian, a Jewish historian of the first century, um, wrote about, about, about the, the, the resurrected Christ. You know, and he wrote about how many, you know, hundreds of people were, were preaching this resurrected Christ. And he wrote about this, 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 this Jesus of Nazareth, you know, who, who rose from the dead. You know, as a historical fact, Josephus, in the first century, not a Christian, not a Christian writer, not, a, not from the Bible, you know, but, the, but this Jewish historian of the first century wrote about the, the, the resurrection of Christ and about the death of all his followers and, and about the gospel going out and about the, these guys preaching a, a crucified, you know, resurrected Messiah. This resurrection of Christ is a historical fact. And you know, we see that this is where the power is at. You know, and again, this is what we preach. Christ crucified for our sins and raised to life to give us eternal life. We see there in, in 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. He says, But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Paul says, Hey man, the, the, the Jews, are, are, they, they, want to, they want to see signs. And the Greeks, they want to hear words of wisdom, you know, and their philosophies and all this stuff. He says, but us? He says, we preach Christ crucified. So both to the Jews and the Greeks, he says, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he says, this is what Paul preached. This is what Peter preached at his very first sermon. This is what the first century church preached. This is what Paul preached. This is where the power is at. I mentioned to you guys a couple weeks ago as we started, as we started the book of Acts, you know, that how... How throughout church history, you know, the, the, the church tends to adopt certain practices and certain traditions that the early church, that the first century church never practiced. You know, and some of those things are, I guess, you know, they're not harmful, but some of those things are just extra weight. Some of those things may not, may not really be sinful, but they're just extra weight and they're things that, that really have no power. You know, and they have no place in the, in, 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 in the gospel message. You know, and I mentioned to you guys how, how my heart was, was to... Was to Study the, the first century church and how they operated and what they taught, what they preached, what they what they did, you know, and and, and, and to be able to, to to implement that here at Calvary Chapel, you know, and just be like, hey man, would you want to be like the first century church, you know? We want to preach out what they preach, we want to teach what they taught, we want to do what they did. And really that's what they what, what what we're doing. You know, and we see at the first century church, they recognize that the power was in the preaching of the crucified Christ. And we see that. I mean, I, I start thinking, you know, I'm like, man, if those guys could hear some of the sermons coming out of the pulpits of today, like, I, I, would, I wonder if they would even be able to recognize, you know, Christianity today. I wonder, you know, if these first century guys were, were to hear some of the messages coming out today, you know, from the pulpits, like they, would be able to, they would be able to recognize, you know, or to identify with these messages. Why? Because so many, you know, so-called preachers or pastors or whatever, you know, are, are, are preaching everything but the cross of Christ. 
It's like, you know, nobody wants to get offended. Nobody wants to, you know, step on anyone's toes. Nobody wants to get their feelings hurt, you know, and crash is offensive. I mean, when you say that, hey, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, nobody gets to the Father except through me. People get offended by that. I was talking to my coworker, one of my coworkers, and I told him, you know, and he, and he said, so, so you believe that, that if I don't believe in Jesus, you know, that I'm not saved? I'm like, well, I didn't say it. You know, Jesus said it. He said, so you believe that, that if I die and if, and if you know, if I, and I, I never got right with, with God, you know, even though I did all these good things in my life, you, so you're saying that God's not going to see that? I'm like, hey, man. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, man. I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. And, you know, he goes on to kind of, you know, criticize, you know, my faith and, and, and criticize what I believe in. And, 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 you know, it's offensive. We see that the, that, the, that the message of the gospel is offensive. You know, and I tell him, like, oh, all you got to do is just call on the name of the Lord. You know, I'm not saying you got to go to church every day and go out. Just call on the name of the Lord. But he refuses to call on the name of Jesus because for whatever reason he has his grudge against, against, against God. He thinks like, oh, well, I'm doing good things. I help out in my community. I do all these nice things for my neighbors. And you tell me God's not going to see all that? Okay, man. Just call the name of the Lord. But we see again that, that, uh, that so many pulpits, you know, in, in, in America today, they're, they're, they're preaching these self-help messages, these motivational, you know, messages, these sugar-coated, fluffy, you know, uh, gospel, type of gospel. You know, they're, they're, te- they're preaching this warm, fuzzy you know, Jesus, and, and, and there's no mention of the cross, no mention of sin, no mention of the brutal beating that Jesus endured for our sins, no mention of the resurrection, and I think, where's the power in those messages? You know, when Paul went, says that Paul went as far as to say there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. It says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him and him crucified. That's what yeah. Paul said. You know, he went as far as to say that. He's like, hey, I'm not going to come over here and try to pretend to be this eloquent speak- speaker, even though he was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy was full of knowledge, full of wisdom. This guy knew the, 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 the Old Testament, you know, like the back of his hand. But he didn't go up there and try to, you know, be this eloquent speaker or nothing. He says, hey, man, I... I I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Later on, we see the effects of this gospel message, you know, that 3,000 souls get saved. You know, and, and, and with that being said, you know, it's easy to compromise the message in order to get church seats filled. You know, and we go out there and we preach, oh, well, you think I'm, what I'm doing is bad? Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's easy to kind of just, you know, go around these things and tell people, you know, like, the truth because we want to get them in the church. You know, and... and we see that, that, that churches that teach the Bible, you know, for the most part are, are not very popular churches because nobody wants to hear about their sin. I mean, I don't want to go to church and hear that, that the way I'm living is wrong and that, and that God frowns upon, you know, what I'm doing and that, and that even what I do in secret, you know, God sees. Nobody wants, to, no, nobody wants to hear those things. You know, it's true. Nobody wants to hear those things. They want to go to a church and just be this, hear the fluffy message, you know, and, and hear the warm, fuzzy Christ. You know, so it's easy to compromise the, 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 the message of the gospel to, to church, to, to fill the seats in the church. You know, but it's important to preach. It's important to preach that. You know, and, and it's important to preach that that's why Jesus had to die and rise again because of our sin. No compromising the message of the cross. You know, again, as we just read, time is short. We're in the last days. We're 2,000 plus years into the last days. You know, the early church started by preaching the cross. They died preaching the cross. And we're going to continue preaching the cross. 
until until Lord takes us back. You know, it's what took place on that cross of Christ that saved sinners. It's not you know these you know self help stuff. You know, but it's what Jesus did on the cross that saved sinners still today. And that's what we preach. You know, yeah. I'm not saying we gotta go out there and repent or you can go to hell type of things. You know, I'm not for that either. You know, but hey, man, in love, in love just. I mean, I see the way Jesus did it. You know, how he met that lady there at the well, you know, and he said, hey, I know everything you've ever done, you know, but come unto me. Come follow me. You know, hey, I know everything. I know, every, I know all the guys you've been with. I know everything you've been doing, you know, your whole life. I know where you're at. You know, come follow me. And she was, and, and what, what, what won her to Christ was not his judgment and his, you know, his hell and fire brimstone preaching, but it was, you know, she went out there and, she, and what she tell her, her neighbor, she said, hey, come hear this man who told me everything I ever did. And the idea behind this is, come hear this man who told me everything I ever did and still accepted me and still called me to follow him and still called me unto himself and still showed me love. That's the message of the cross today. Amen? Amen. Father God, just thank you so much for, for your word, Lord, again.